Hello, White Sox fans, and welcome into another edition of the Sox on Tap podcast. It's Tony Marchese alongside NWI Steve. Rumor has it we're in the best shape of our lives, Stephen. Is that uh, is, is that hashtag confirmed? You know, I've reached out to multiple sauces to to get this confirmed here. Um, it is hashtag unconfirmed at the moment here. I can just say that I, I'm, I'm putting in the work so that when I report to Glendale um, in about six weeks or so here, that um, I, I'm late looking, spring training for you, huh? Well, you know, I'm getting getting there mid March, you know, um, but I, I'm, I'm putting in the work so that I show up in the best shape of my life. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. There's a lot of other people out there right now. Uh, getting themselves in spring training form. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that before we do. Be sure you're following the show at Socks on Tap on Twitter. Uh, follow the uh, the the number one best shape of their life guy, NWI Steve, at NWI underscore Steve. Myself. Yeah, that's hashtag unconfirmed, Anthony. Well, we're working on it. You can follow myself at Tony on Tap. Make sure you're getting on the YouTube so you can drop in these comments. We did have... Twitter comments, X comments, whatever you want to call them these days. Last week on the show, that was a new thing for us. So you can comment on on X as well now. Uh, and welcome on in. Uh, we've got uh, quite a few topics to talk about, Steve. Before we do, uh, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Anthony. It's um, we're another day closer to baseball season here. You know, um, fortunately, that silly foosball nonsense will be over in short order. And um, close Super Bowl you know, time. Yeah, you know we're we're hashtag blessed to know that that crap is no longer going to be uh, polluting the airwaves. Yeah, it's uh, it's getting it's getting closer and closer to spring training every day. We got uh, what about fifteen days? I think it is now until pitchers and catchers report. Just over two weeks. Uh, once we turn that uh, calendar over to February, it's it's baseball month. So that's uh, that's that's good news. It's positive news. I'm feeling good about it myself. A couple things on our agenda today. We're going to look at some of the stadium developments that have transpired since we last spoke last week. Um, we got some comments from some pretty important people in the baseball universe on that. We'll look at some Dylan C stuff. We'll talk a little bit about the Zips projections that we didn't have a chance to get into uh, last week. Those are going to be such a fun topic. It's going to be riveting conversation. And uh, we'll look a little bit at the uh, Baseball America Top 100 that just came out. A couple of White Sox names on there. So let's start it off right at the top here, Stephen. New stadium developments. This thing, we talked a lot about it last week. Went in depth on it. You've gone in depth on it a couple times over at ontapsportsnet.com. Um, so if you are looking for some extra reading material out there, head on over ontapsportsnet.com. Head to the White Sox section, and you can find all of Stephen's wonderful work up there. Um Steve, what do we got here? What what has transpired in the past six days? Well, something real big that happened yesterday was that Commissioner Rob Manfred uh, got his eyes on the plans and the tentative idea behind the stadium. And he has also now given a thumbs up. Hashtag praise Manfred. That's a big development here. Huge development, I believe. He called it uh, game-changing, game-changing stadium plans. Um, that's not something that uh, I've heard come out of Rob Manfred's mouth since he talked about the pitch clock and, and bigger bases. So game-changing developments with this new stadium. Stephen, I, I saw some other things in in the in the news uh, about uh, you know some doubters that are out there that this is going to actually happen um, as fast as I think you have alluded to. Uh, it taking place um, in your work here. But uh, any thoughts on what this Manfred stamp of approval is going to mean for this uh, new stadium development? I think if you just look at the key power players here involved in this, now you add Commissioner Manfred, hashtag praise Manfred, to the list here. You've got him. You've got Mayor Johnson giving positive um, endorsement of the plan so far without really digging into a lot of the specifics you had you have the president of the chicago federation of labor these are all things that i i talked about in my most recent piece over at ontapsportsnet.com those are some pretty significant names to have in there and you know kind of one of the central points of my piece is that it seems as though jerry reinsdorf um and 
you know, the development company behind the 78 project here are really lining up all the chess pieces that they have here before going down to Springfield to have the conversation with Governor J.B. Pritzker, who has been very adamant that no public funding be used for the funding of any new stadium here. Um, we've seen it thrown around a couple of times by various people out there that there's going to be no new taxes to it and kind of the implication, and this is something even going back to what Bruce Levine had reported uh, seven to 10 days ago, was that the tax ramifications would be identical to what they are currently with the Sox Stadium deal. Now, I think the governor might have a little bit of pushback on that here, um, wanting to decrease that tax exposure to uh, the tax base. And, uh, you know, I think understandably so. But I think anytime that you have a negotiation of this magnitude here, you're not going to go in and you're not going to make your best offer right out of the chute here. So I think, you know, the White Sox um, and, and the development company here involved in the overall 78 project are coming in here, making their initial offer and knowing that, hey, maybe we've got some room to work here and some room to work down uh, when it comes to the funding mechanism side of this equation here. So again, there are still a lot of things that can happen here and, and I don't want there to be a misunderstanding about this here. I'm not trying to imply that I think that this thing is definitely going to happen or even placing it as probable right now. All I'm simply trying to say here with the information that we have to this point is that there is momentum building towards that. A lot of things can still go wrong here with that. But the fact that there is this much positive momentum this early on in the process, I think is a positive sign that something could get done here. Yeah. I mean, when you've got the commissioner of baseball involved, you, you've already talked to the mayor, there's, there's been a lot of um, smoke. And normally when there's smoke, there's, there's a fire. That's that's causing that smoke. So um, you've been all over this thing since day zero. Uh, we'll keep to checking back in for developments on the 78 project as this thing rolls along. I think you had predicted a potential 2027, 2028 date. I think that's ahead of what a lot of people have um, originally thought as as the opening of a potential new stadium here. Um, but uh, you, you provided some pretty good evidence. I implore everybody to go check out uh, sooner rather than later uh, the title of your article over at ONTAP Sportsnet if they want to read more on that. Uh, Steve, we had some, some news break in the actual baseball front of things with the White Sox, um, and that was via Bob Nightingale's Sunday column, uh, and he mentions that the White Sox – and the Seattle Mariners have been engaging in trade talks around one Dylan Cease. Now, these things cooled off completely uh, to the point where you had Pedro Grifol speaking last week, um, it, right before the season ticket holder event, uh, that you know he's going to be the opening date starter. I think that that's pretty fairly common knowledge if he's on this team still. Um, he is your number one starter. But also that the Sox were prepared to head into the season – retaining Dylan Cease and potentially trying to make a move at the deadline. The Mariners, not a team that has been mentioned much of at all in Dylan Cease sweepstakes um, up until this point, are now in the conversation. It's Tuesday night. Uh, we had this uh, break, I guess, on, on Sunday. Where do you think these talks are at? Well, okay, a couple things here. First, I mean, Pedro Grifol's comments, I mean – Kind of what's he really supposed to say? Right. You know, he I mean, he's not going to come out and say, well, you know, we're not expecting him to be here when we when we break camp from Arizona. I mean, that's kind of just a very generic manager speak right there, which, you know, that's kind of the one thing he's decently good at, I, I guess I would say. Um, you know, as far as the situation with Seattle here, uh, Jerry DePoto loves making trades. I mean, I think he wakes up in the middle of the night trying to contemplate a deal to make. I think the saddest day on the calendar for him is trade deadline day because he knows that he can't really do anything after that. So it's, um, it's a very somber day for DePoto. He loves wheeling and dealing. Um, 
it is kind of interesting to see them get thrown around a little bit in these discussions here. You're right. They're not a team that has been talked about very much over the course of the winter here. They've got a pretty robust farm system. Now that has taken a little bit of a hit here in the last 24 hours after their acquisition of former Minnesota Twins second baseman and Sox killer Jorge Polanco. Um, the fact that Jorge Polanco was able to get four players in a deal, including a top 100 prospect and another player right on the cusp of it is really fascinating to me. And I think that speaks to some of the reports out there from Bob and some of the other people that the Sox are looking for a King's ransom for the Dylan. Sun in the moon, I believe as was that John Heyman. John Heyman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like I said, if Jorge Polanco is getting that much, I mean, justifiably the Sox should be looking to get that kind of uh, return for Dylan Cease. When you realize that, you know, Blake Snell is out there still thinking he's going to get $200 million, even though it doesn't appear as though he has offers out there. Jordan Montgomery is going to get over $100 million. Um, no, There's still names out there on this market. There are still names out there, but, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I think a team like Jerry DePoto and, and someone and an executive like him kind of looks at this as prospects are currency and – you can use that to get an asset like a Dylan C, something that's not going to cost you nine figures. And, you know, I, I don't mean to go bringing back up the Chicago White Sox failed rebuild 2.0, but I feel like it's going to happen probably at least 200 times this season. It's funny that we say this and we sit here right now and we advocate for other teams to maybe act in that manner. When, a lot of people in, in White Sox camp were saying, hey, it's just money. We don't need to trade all of these prospects that we hoarded. Um, you could sort of throw the, the Dane Dunning, Lance Lynn trade into that equation. I, th I think Rick Hahn did a, a fair job. We've evaluated that thing uh, to the ends of the earth already. But it's just funny. Like We want them to go and give up all of this prospect capital for Dylan Cease when a couple of years ago we were in this situation and it was just go out and, and, and sign this free agent for a hundred million dollars. Don't make that trade. Don't trade Andrew Vaughn or some of these other names that were out there. It's interesting, interesting juxtaposition. Well, I think in a sense, I mean, if you look at the way that the Mariners have built their team, I mean, they did go out and they signed, you know, Robbie Ray to a nine figure deal fresh off of a Cy Young award. Uh, that he won with the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, they subsequently traded him to the San Francisco Giants here. Uh, so they've done that. They gave Julio Rodriguez a $200 million extension. Um, you know, so they've kind of done some of the spending aspect of it. Um, again, I think it's just a little bit of a different situation because Jerry DePoto loves to make trades. Uh, that That is just in his nature and um, just part of his general composition. I mean, he loves to make a deal. So um, that's where. Do you, do you, you think know. something gets done? What's your, what's your inkling? Because there's, there's been the camp that says, and I believe Bruce Levine said this on Sunday as well on 670, the score, there's no way they walk into camp with Dylan Steese risk injury. Um, but then you've got Bob Nightingale's qualifier at the end of his this little snippet on, on Dylan Cease. And if, if the White Sox are unable to strike a deal with Seattle, they're prepared to go into the season with him. I don't know if that means they're going to shut down uh, any further talk, or if that means, you know, we're, we're just sort of, you know, positioning ourselves for another bidder to enter at, at this point. Um, but it's been relatively quiet outside the Mariners. Do you think we get something done here? I think it's a coin flip right now. I, I know that's a little bit of a cop-out right here, but um, like you said, pitchers and catchers report in two weeks, and we've actually kind of seen this, I would say, over the last two or three years. It feels as though the spring training pitcher injuries have kind of had an uptick in their frequency. And, you know, this is stuff that happens sometimes right away that first week. I mean, I remember um, – 2011, Adam Wainwright blowing his elbow out at his first bullpen session. Um, so these things do happen, and you always have injuries during the course of spring training. And so you never really know what's going to happen with any of the teams that are out there that are 
serious contenders. And, you know, it's not that you're sitting here hoping for an injury to take place, but they are just simply a reality. And, you know, that is the type of thing that could force desperation out of a team and, and kind of give them that nudge that they need to make a deal. So if it were me, um, I would not take the risk of going into the season with Dylan Cease on the roster, just because if we learned anything over the course of the last six years, it's that if the White Sox didn't have bad luck, they wouldn't have any luck at all. <laughs> Are we sure we've learned that? Do we, do we need, do we need further proof? <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's been hashtag confirmed. Yeah. Pretty, I mean, fairly, fairly confirmed. Steve, I'm, I'm of the mindset that, there, there probably will be a deal that gets done. That's just my inkling. My gut feeling is that uh, whether or not it's prior to spring training or within the first week, I think we see something get done here. Um, I don't know if I'm exactly comfortable with that being the case because of what we're about to talk about right now um, with these new White Sox zips projections. And yes, it's that time to get there. We've got some some effects here as well. We're going to add up the Zips projections to the stage. Steven, you've done a little bit of digging in on this. Um, here we go. What is this? And there are names on here that I have never seen before. I'm going to be honest with you. It's bad. It's bad, okay? It's bad. <laughs> um, basically, you've got Luis junior and a whole bunch of garbage um you know on the positional side look um you know you're, you're projecting Luis robert jr as a four win player again but even seeing a downtick in his production from a year ago uh the model actually has him you know with a 119 wrc plus that's down nine points from a year ago um hitting 28 homers when he he was 38 a year ago. And really the, the biggest variance with him that they're showing is a, a decline in the slugging percentage. He slugged 542 a year ago, showing him at 496 um, this year. So, you know, that, that would be a, a notable drop-off right there um, if that were to take place, you know, you go around the rest of the diamond there. I mean, Yoan Mankata, I mean, they're projecting a, a basic Yoan Mankata year, 252, 325, 411, 102, w, 102 WRC plus, you know, so just slightly above league average. Um, is that the career year that everybody is looking for? No, we, we had the career year with the super bouncy ball. That was in 2019. He's motivated now, though. I mean, you know, that's fine, but, you know. We know what he is at, at this point. But I'm I'm very curious to see what a very motivated Yoan Moncada looks like this season. I mean, haven't we heard this story before? I mean, I, f I feel like I feel like the Yoan, the motivated Yoan Moncada and, and the offseason videos of him hitting in the tee, those are like, you know, those are the original, you know, Justin Fields running on the treadmill after, you know, having 102 passing yards and a loss, you know, I mean, I feel like that was kind of the precursor and, and the original right there. But I just, we know what Yohan Mankata is at this point. Um, if somehow he does have that horseshoe up his ass this year and hits 20 homers, cool. Great. Maybe maybe you pick up a little bit of the freight and maybe a team, you know, needs help at third base um, down the stretch. And maybe you can get rid of him two months early. You know, that'd be cool. So you're predicting right now a Yoan Moncada trade deadline flip. I'm not predicting that. No, I, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm predicting just more of the same of what we've seen from him of just, you know, very average, borderline underwhelming. If they get more out of him, cool. And then maybe you can move him if you pick up some of the freight on that $25 million. But I'm not projecting that by any means. Um, Give some people some hope here, Stephen. <laughs> I, they, they came to the wrong place. <laughs> Man, they, tough, they, tough zips crowd. They, they came to the wrong place. Yeah, I, I think that maybe the anthem 
uh, for the 2024 fa- for the fan base this year should be uh, Slipknot's, Slipknot's 2008 classic All Hope is Gone. I, I think that's probably more apropos. Let's just let's just keep it moving here. We've, we've talked a little Moncada. I think we're we're ready to keep moving on here. He was motivated, and you're trying to you know take him down a notch. Yeah, very, I mean, very much like you, Stephen. Well, you know what are you gonna do? I mean, it's got Eloy. You know. 283324 73 so a little bit better on the slog 21 homers you know 119 wrc plus um you know those are those are okay numbers you know right there i mean for a guy that's not going to give you anything defensively or on the base paths still not enough for me i mean me. they have him listed here in in right field with our boy oscar colas and and my son so yeah, I think he sees some time out there in right field this year. I mean, it's not going to be what I want to see. I don't think anybody wants to see that. If we're being completely honest with ourselves here, um, you know, but that is what it is. Let's keep looking at this train wreck. Noodle boy, let's talk about Noodle boy. He's put on some weight, so I don't even know if you can call him Noodle boy anymore. He he was eating all off season. Um. Well, Zips hasn't projected for a 401 slug. So, yes, I can call him Noodle Boy still. That's very noodle like. 10 home runs and a, <laughs> I mean, and a 105 WRC plus. That's, yeah, yeah. No thanks, Noodle Boy. Get lost. And we still will have three more years of this garbage after this. Just I, highest paid player in White Sox history. And Steve's still unhappy with him because he stinks. Keep it moving. He stinks. Andrew Vaughn, a very hotly debated and widely panned individual on this team, kind of getting very similar numbers to a year ago, 263, 327, 453 with 24 homers and a 113 WRC+. That 453 would actually be a pretty substantial improvement for him. But again, in my baseball world, if you are a right-right bat only first baseman and you're slugging 453 that's just not enough for me that's a problem so um you know 24 home runs out of him i mean he hit 21 a year ago there's just there's just not enough there let's just be real about this um there hasn't been development from him i mean he's had 1600 career plate appearances he's just not good enough that's why i would have been totally cool with the Sox bringing in reese hoskins and putting him at first base and just being done with andrew vaughn i personally i don't need to see andrew vaughn anymore i'm over it you are just you are a, a, a beacon of hope for everyone right now and we've got kenwell here with the with the comments Steven sounds a lot like me, very shocking and sad, may need to rethink my stances. This is like interesting developments all over the place. We've got a, a terrible Zips projection on the screen, maybe the worst that we've ever seen. Steven sounds like Kenwo. There's just there's a lot going on here today, guys. We, we know Ken doesn't like to use logic when he spews his garbage out there, so you know it's not that surprising. Ron Luce is here. You've got a new name, Sour Steve. Um. Like Sour Patch Kids, those aren't bad. Well, you know, whatever, whatever you want to justify it with, be my guest. <laughs> um, can we move to the middle infield? Because there's some names here. I, I want, I want to hear you pronounce whoever is behind Nicky Lopez, and tell me if you've ever heard of this guy before. Well, it's it's not just one person. I mean, it's a combination of of some of the guys that they got from my barbs. Um, I didn't even look at you know the the rest of those, but it's it's this this is one of the things Dan loves to do with the Zips projections is he likes to make just a hodgepodge of, of the names. Um, it is kind of one of the more comical things that he will do with the uh, projections right here. But I mean, I know guys like Brady Shoemaker is in there and um, Gonzalez. Ro- it might be Ro- was could be, could be Romy Gonzalez, Jose Rodriguez, you know, could, could be in there. My baby boy, um, you know, and, and I think, I think Lenine Sosa might be somehow dipped in there. Um, you know, it's interesting. Like you look at some of the guys here, some of the younger players, like 
Jose Rodriguez and Lenin Sosa. Um, they actually have the model has those guys, you know, for 14 and 15 home runs respectively out of the year, but overall offensive production um, about 25% below league average. So basically it's, they run into the ball and hit it over the fence, like once every couple of weeks and then don't really do much else. Um, fascinating, fascinating projection here was actually Oscar Colas. Um Hasn't projected to slug 404 with 19 homers, which I know most fans, based off of what they saw from him a year ago, would look at it and would say, wow, that's you know a significant improvement. Well, still has him at about an 85 WRC plus a 15% below league average. So not great. Uh, really just very much not good. Um, like I said, it's Luis Robert Jr. and a whole lot of bad. Yeah, we don't have very much here that uh, you can you can really ride a lot of hope on. Uh, Johnny, our guy Johnny's in the uh, in the comments. Remember when Dim Zimborski came on our show and spoke a million words but said nothing? So we know how Johnny feels about Zip's projections. But Stephen, does this? At least we've talked about the the hitting fielding at this point. Is this the worst Zip's projections? that you've seen in White Sox baseball zips projection history? Yes. Next question. Let's move on to the starters and relievers. Because <laughs> um, I don't even want to talk about Martin Maldonado and Stassi and Corey Lee. They, they, they're well, I, think, well, I, I, think, I think we'll get to them a, a little bit later, but not in the way that people are thinking. Um Look, on the pitching side, you've got Dylan Cease and a bunch of number fives. That's basically where we're at. You look at the the rest of this collection of guys here with, you know, Eric Fetty, um, Christian Mena, <laughs> Chris Flexen, Davis Martin, who apparently is still alive, coming back from Tommy John surgery, uh, Mike Soroka, Nick Nestrini, um, Jared Schuster, you know, the two guys that came over from my barbs. Um there's not a whole lot here as far as quality. Like I said, it's Dylan Cease and a bunch of number fives, if not worse. Do you believe that we will see over 11 starting pitchers for this White Sox team this year? Wow. that's. I'm, a, I'm just looking at this right now, and if, if Dylan Cease is traded – Fetty, just based on these projections, is your number one guy. Barring health, I still think there's a chance you could see potentially 11 different starters for this White Sox organization this season, and I don't think that's exactly a good thing. Um, it, in fact, is not. I think, um, man, that's a pretty fair number right there. I, I, feel, like, I feel like if you were – Calling Vegas, if you were hashtag big better guy, you would have to add a 0.5 onto that for the over under right there. Because I feel like that's pretty spot on close to what the number would be. And there's, a, there's a lot of young guys. There's a lot of new names in here. You've got Garrett Crochet, who's probably going to flip back and forth at some point through this season, pending some health. Uh, Tuki Toussaint, he's probably a guy that's going to be utilized back and forth. You saw the White Sox last year sort of shifting around some some starts and, and moving guys back to the bullpen for brief stints to get themselves right. Michael Kopech has never been a pillar of health. Um, I don't know how long you're going to get, uh, you know, Nick Nestrini in this, in this rotation, Soroka, Schuster. These aren't guys that I see throwing 175, 200 in it, none of them, um, at least based on past history. This could be really ugly. Oh, I think it's going to be very ugly. You're also forgetting Jesse Schultons. Ah, yes, Mr. Schultons. You know, so. Johnny's um, got a great meme that he does with that on, on the Sox on Tap uh, Twitter account. Jesse, we does. need to cook. He does. Yeah. He, he certainly does. I think maybe the interesting over-under might be, you know, can they get three start 3.5 starters over 100 innings pitched? 
that might be a challenge for them. But, I, I mean, you're the one who has been praising Brian Bannister all off season. So well, if, if we don't get if we don't get to that hold, mark, hold on, hold we don't on, get to that mark. On. Are you going to be mad at your boy? Hold on here. You can't expect Emerald to go into a kitchen that you know has low level, low quality food and turn it into a five star Michelin rated restaurant overnight. Okay, these things take time. All right, in Bannister we trust. Okay. And that will be until further notice. Hey, I'm in Johnny's camp. I just like immediate gratification. I want guys who come here and, and immediately rake. I want pitchers who come in and, you know. Sounds like you want a new baseball team to I do. Them. I don't like this baseball team. I'm just like Chris Getz. I don't like this baseball team, and I like it less after he's assembled it. Yeah, I mean, I remember being told that he was different, um, you know. Here we are. Do we want to talk about this relief core? Who's our closer? I mean, Gregory Santos is, is still, you know, the, the guy as far as being the closer here. And I think based off of what we saw from him a year ago, I think that makes the most sense. He ran out of gas a little bit kind of towards the end of the year. But up until I would say the last six weeks of the season, he was very solid. So, you know, that's something that um, after he, they took his naps away, things started getting a little bit shaky. You know, I'll tell you a funny story here. So my junior college pitching coach, uh, former major league reliever, Tim Burdak, uh, at one point was I think in we need the, a theme song for Steve's story time. Keep going. You know, you know, he was in the Indians organization for a, uh, a brief period of time. And Lee Smith, who was uh, formerly the all-time saves leader, uh, was, was with the club around that time. And Burdak made a comment at one point about how, you know, the games in spring training would start and then Smith would just kind of disappear for a couple of innings at a time. And then he would show up to the bullpen and Burdick would ask him, like, hey, where, where do you go? What are you doing? And uh, Lee Smith would kind of say in, in his, you know, I, I guess it was kind of like a Southern draw. I'd be like, Rook, I got to get my nap in. Hey, so. naps help. I'm, I'm a big proponent of naps, just maybe not in the bullpen. Um, although if they, they lead to, you know, good pitching results, Who's to argue? Um, that really does it for Zips projections, unless you've got a couple. Mercifully. Of, yeah, that was painful. I, I was not looking forward to that. I'm glad we got through it together. Um, one of the and, touch, no, and no one was harmed during the during the course of those projections there. I mean, that we know of, that we know of. We'll, we'll wait for. Hopefully the, Ken was harmed. We'll wait for the, uh, the numbers afterwards. I wanted to kind of touch on my boy made some comments um, to the media folk. And uh, these have not really gone over well. We might have to sit down and do a little media training. Um, but uh, this comes courtesy of uh, Nick Murawski, um, who loves to snip screenshots of news articles and put them out there for White Sox fans to read. Uh, thank you for doing this, Nick. Uh, Everybody is counting us out, said White Sox right fielder Gavin Sheets, who was part of a group of players in Chicago last weekend for a Boys and Girls Club of Chicago event Thursday and a season ticket holder event at the Field Museum on Friday. Pretty sure Kenmo was there. Not positive, though, but uh, we'll have to check in with him. And why, would an, why would an Astros fan be at a White Sox season ticket holder event? I'm not sure. Uh, the only thing you can do is use that to fuel us. We go out every day trying to play hard and win games, and that doesn't change what we're going to do. We all know we aren't favored to do anything this year. That's the first time since I've been here in the big leagues in three years. We can use that to help us and motivate us and see what we can do with it. Um, this got some some bad responses to it, and I understand why there's bad responses to it. We just looked at the uh, the Zips projections. Ooh, Kenwo is in the comments confirming that he was not, in fact, in attendance, uh, but he probably will be next year when SoxFest is back. Um Steven, any reaction to Gavin Sheets' comments here? I'd say the most alarming thing about it was that he was um, identified as White Sox right fielder, Gavin Sheets. I thought we were done with this. I thought we were focusing on defense and not playing guys out of position. That is uh, an alarming 
thing, but you know, I'm not sure which outlet this this came from. This could have been Tribune. I don't know. We didn't get an actual attribution from uh, Nick Murawski's post here, but I think you're going to see Gavin Sheets in right field. Now, I'd like the White Sox to go out and sign a name like uh, Solaire, maybe. I don't know. Just somebody who you know has actually played outfield professionally. Um, maybe he doesn't have to be the best defense, but a bat that's going to be more than potential platoon guy um, has more experience in the outfield, maybe a veteran, somebody that's not going to cost a whole too much and, and break Jerry's bank, but, you know, provides you some pop. And I'm just throwing out suggestions here, but I think you're going to see, as I said, Eloy Jimenez, Gavin Sheets, and who else did we have on the, on the zips list? Oscar Colas getting some some reps out there. If we learned anything about Oscar Colas last year, it's that uh, he's not very good, and there's probably going to be another trip down to AAA Charlotte uh, to get himself right with the Knights because he did not seem to be Pedro Grifol's favorite option out there in right field. He most certainly did not. And, in um, fact, I would say he was probably the most thrown under the bus player <laughs> of the organization last year. Yeah, it was kind of fascinating that Colas was really the one guy that was frequently taken to task by Mr. Clean when, um, you know, so many others within the organization were just kind of given a free pass a year ago. Yes, considering there were veterans that uh, just didn't get the job done. But, um, you know, I look at these comments and I, I sort of think to myself, like, this is somewhat solid footing that, that Gavin has to say these things. Not not that he has performed well, but at least he's speaking positively about something. What's he supposed to do? Go out there and say, we're going to fucking suck ass this year? I mean... That's I actually would find it kind of funny if a player actually did that at some point. I, I would too. I would too. Just like I'd like managers to be a little more transparent. I don't know. I feel for Gavin. He came in here and, you know, he really enjoyed that playoff game and everything just fell apart right after that happened. And, you know, he had a, a pretty terrible season last year by all accounts. And I'm sure he wants to have a better year this year but he's not really set up for success with any of this right fielder. I mean, it's, it's not the best display of athleticism out there in right field and we've all seen it, but I, I just don't know what any of these guys are supposed to say at this point. It's, it's very sad to put yeah. him even in this position to, to talk about what is going to transpire this year. It's like a fighter who is just absolutely undermatched on a card and you're about to send him into the slaughterhouse and, you know, I just I just feel for these guys. I really feel for them. Yeah, it's always been kind of fascinating to me to see people that actually go to journalism schools and some of the questions that they ask. Um, I, I just don't get it sometimes. I mean, again, yeah, they're setting them up for the quote so that we can sit here and, and dissect if Gavin Sheets really thinks that the White Sox are going to you know, use these projections to fuel them. Now there are teams out there that are projected to do bad and, and overachieve it. I don't think anybody looks at this White Sox roster. We're sitting here talking about, are there going to be 11, 12 different starting pitching uh, players on this team this year that get starts because they don't have the horses to win a race. And yet, you know, we're, we're setting Gavin sheets up for absolute failure by asking him, how, you know, how are you guys going to fare this year? Are you going to beat these projections? Look, look at what your front office has done. Yeah, it's not great. Um, again, I mean, I, I think, you know, a more reasonable question to ask Gavin in a, in a more realistic line of discussion would be to kind of get a sense from him as far as what things he was improving on or, or focusing on over the course of the offseason to try to improve during the course of the season to actually make a positive contribution in 2024 when he didn't a year ago. Um, you know, for people that are all about, you know, the the gambling and such and, and you know, the people that have to screenshot their daily bets on, on the X machine, um, you know, 
I, I'll say this. I, I think legalized sports gambling might be one of the worst things to ever happen to this country. Um, but that's not why you called. Um, you know, a lot of the uh, books out there and, and betting sites have the Sox at like 63 and a half wins coming into the season. That's not particularly good. So I think that kind of tells you all you need to know about what kind of season this team is really going to have. Um, it's just, it's, it's going to be ugly. It's, mm, we'll be here to talk about it on the regular. Steve, it's, Fortunately, I'll be drinking again. Yeah, it's, it's definitely prospect season. As they say, it's time to get hyped about the prospects again. Everybody here in White Sox land loves getting hyped about prospects. You have recently penned a little article about how being More patient. So keyed than penned. Keyed, penned, same thing. You know, if, if, if we weren't having all this technology in our lives, you would have been writing this out on your scroll. And, you know, we would get it over to the printing press and we'd have it out there for everybody. But I probably do it on papyrus. Papyrus? You're a papyrus guy. Big papyrus guy. Love it. Um, Thank, you know, thank the Lord we've got this nice, beautiful website on tapsportsnet.com. Makes it really easy. you got your computer. You can type these things up. Patience. You're you're preaching patience here. Um, Why don't you talk a little bit about uh, your most recent uh, addition to on tapsportsnet.com? All right, so the MLB Pipeline Top 100 Prospect list came out over the weekend here. MLB Network had um, you know, a big production for it. White Sox had two names on, the, on that list. Um, Noah Schultz, left-handed pitcher at number 50. And the more important one is Colson Montgomery at number nine, the number two overall rated prospect in the sport behind Jackson Holiday, who is the sport's top prospect overall, and it's going to be arriving to Baltimore, just further bolstering their club later on this season. Um, basically, from my perspective here, this team right now, as the farm system stands, has two important players that really matter. Colson Montgomery and Edgar Caro, who was the centerpiece of the acquisition uh, from the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim of Orange County of California of the Pacific Time Zone last July for Lucas Giolito. Um, these are the two guys that, if they can develop, you know, would potentially be cornerstones of the next fluke playoff team in 2027. And so if Chris Getz really is different, and he talked about being different, and this is something that was directly in his purview, as a former director of player development, he should have a full understanding that rushing players to the major leagues before they are ready is detrimental to their growth and to their long-term production and value to this team. Think about some of the names that I cited in my piece. Go back to 2009 with Gordon Beckham. You think about him. You know, you think about guys like Andrew Vaughn. You think about you know guys like Carson Fulmer, Carlos Rodon, Garrett Crochet, guys that were forced to the big leagues out of necessity, rather out of merit. This team is in a spot right now where the stats in 2024 don't matter. Colson Montgomery could come up and hit 30 home runs, and it will not have any impact on the White Sox position this year. There's not going to be any playoff baseball at the corner of 35th and Shields. I'm going to break some news here live on the air. There's probably not going to be playoff baseball at 35th and Shields in 2025 either. You might never see playoff baseball again at the corner of 35th and Shields. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility here. I'm still I'm still saying we get a fluke playoff here in 2027. That's That's what I'm going with. Nevertheless... At the end of the day, these two guys need to be fully developed. Chris Getz, let them start the year down in Birmingham. Um, you know, you look at Colson Montgomery in particular, he's played like 50 some games in double A. That's not enough. And I know there's a lot of people clamoring saying that he's going to get up here this year. If it doesn't happen until mid August, that's fine. Make him earn his way and hit his way up here. There's questions about his defense, about his ability to stay 
at the shortstop position. Let him stay down there in the minor leagues and continue to develop. Do not rush this thing. Rushing it serves absolutely no purpose at this point. Same thing with Edgar Carroll. Look, the Angels, they they pulled a very classic White Sox move a year ago, having him skip high A entirely and going straight to the double-A Southern League as a 20-year-old. He was one of the youngest players in the league a year ago. And he actually held his own okay. You know, he had, um, I think on, on the year, like a 12.5% walk rate, which he's been highlighted for having elite-level strike zone management and pitch recognition from both sides of the plate. The power did start to manifest a little bit more once he got to Birmingham after the trade. If that can further develop, and there have been positive reports on his defense improving when he got when he got to the Bears right there, but if that offense can improve, the value of having a switch-hitting catcher that gives you above-average offense, if he could be a guy that could hit you 20 home runs while playing at least serviceable defense behind the plate, that is insanely valuable. We've seen how hard it has been for this team to address that catching position since A.J. Pierzynski left after the 2012 season. You know, and then you think about Colson Montgomery, again, kind of cir- circling back to him right there. If he can find a way to stay in the middle of the diamond, having two core pieces up the middle right there, that is how you build a potentially good baseball team. And if you still have Luis Robert Jr. in there and you have three guys up the middle, that's how you build a winning baseball team right there. So for all the consternation that has taken place about the moves of this winter so far, Max Stassi, Martin Maldonado, Nicky Naperville, Paul DeYoung, these guys that aren't going to do anything long-term, these guys that are really just here to be filler, They are here, and in my opinion, their purpose is more so just to allow these two guys in particular to stay down in the minor leagues and continue their full development before they get to the corner of 35th and Shields. And who knows, in Carroll's case, that might not even come until 2025, and that's totally fine. You're preaching a lot of patience here, Stephen. Preaching a lot of patience. And I get it. There's really no harm in keeping these guys down as, as long as you possibly can. My one concern with it is uh, the longer that they're in the White Sox farm system, this is how cynical I've become after being on the show and watching White Sox baseball for years is how much damage can the White Sox farm system do to these guys? That's what I'm concerned about. I think that's where you have to hope that Josh Barfield coming in here and making positive changes to the farm system from his time in Arizona. He was a guy that he was at the forefront of helping to build that farm system that the National League champion Arizona Diamondbacks put together right there. So you've got to try that and you've got to, you know, have a modicum of trust in there that he knows what he's doing. And you have to at least try and see. Again, do we know if it's going to work? We're not going to know for a couple of years here. And just remember, just remember, it was important to bring in Chris Gutz to be the GM because it wasn't going to take very long to turn this thing around. And that's why he was the hire. You know how I feel about that. Well, I'm just following up, you know, very rational thinking that I think you have here with some of the idiocracy that this team just spews out into the universe and expects people to believe. Well, this is the life of a White Sox fan in the year of our Lord 2024. <laughs> Reading hieroglyphics. Um, we talked a little bit about Edgar Cuero, Colson Montgomery. I saw a tweet from Baseball America regarding Noah Schultz, who you briefly touched on as well. And they talked about him being a name to watch and somebody who could become a top pitching prospect in all of baseball. What are your thoughts here, Steve? Because when I hear that, I've seen guys be top pitching prospects. You named a bunch of them as guys who were brought up too early. You know, is, is he a guy that you think could potentially be one of those 11, 12 starters this year in a White Sox uniform? Absolutely I would 
I would absolutely hope not as well. No. Um, you know, just thoughts on any thoughts on his development. I mean, the biggest thing with him is, you know, he needs innings. Um, that's going to be the primary focus for him when he was down um, a year ago in Kannapolis. He was very good. And, you know, the scouting reports on him in person were all overwhelmingly positive and talked about just dominant stuff and top of the rotation type stuff. But again, you've got to have the innings in there. He only threw 27 innings a year ago. Um, you know, and this is, you know, on the heels of, you know, being a first round pick in June of 2022. Um, you know, so there's not a whole lot of innings based there. And that's going to be a key for this situation right here. Um, they've got to they've got to ramp up those innings. I mean, this is kind of what we've seen with Garrett Crochet in the fact that he just does, and, and Michael Kopech too. These guys have not thrown enough innings. So, um, you know, for, for Noah Schultz, you've got to find a way to get as many innings as you possibly can under your belt this year. I think the idea of him being and spending the entire season in high Winston-Salem uh, makes the most sense. If you go out there and if you dominate, then, hey, 2025, you start the year in Double A Birmingham, and and then you're you're inching closer. But you've got to try to find a way to get. God, I don't even know. I don't even know what the realistic number is going to be here because he did have some forearm issues towards the end of last year. I mean, are you are you okay with eighty to ninety five innings? I think that's probably where the number needs to be at. Honestly, I mean, I would like to see it in the triple digits, but I don't know that they're going to get there. Honestly. Um, I, I think that if you go from 27 to, you know, 100, 105, there seems to be a thought process and a belief that that's too big of a jump. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a large jump. What did you say innings were last year? 27. 27. Yeah. I, I would, I would hope for 75 plus, maybe you, you scratch mm -hmm. that to the 90 inning mark. Um, and some of that is dependent upon pitch count too, Steve, mm -hmm. as well yeah. too. So be interesting to follow his development. And this is, you know, we're on the heels of sitting here talking about how we don't even want to pay attention to this shit anymore. You know, just the, the, the prospect hype. And yet here we are prospect season. It, it feels like it's one of the only things that we have to even look forward to. It's like, here's the table scraps. Be happy. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that it's to the level of, you know, There's but, not hype, but it's like you yeah. almost as a White Sox fan have to look at this stuff and say, here's a little bit of hope. Well, that's, I what, I get that, from, that's what I get from your piece a little bit earlier uh, that we were just talking about. It's like well, that is think, the most positive thing that you've talked about on this whole entire show. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just a, a function of baseball fans in general. I mean, I think even you know teams when they are in the heart of their contention window are always having to be mindful of the fact that um, – you know, you, you need to have that next wave of talent coming, and that's a big part of the reason why this organization is in the spot that they're in right now because that next wave of talent never came. Um, and, and that's a big, big issue that hopefully we see rectified at some point here in our lifetimes. The ship was lost at sea. <laughs> the sea was angry that day, my friends. Yeah, there we go. Do we, we want to take a Take over by pirates. <laughs> Do we want to talk about the uh, the Sox making a decision and uh, bringing in a new play-by-play -play voice? We do. We do want to talk about that, and I think that's a, the perfect thing to close our show up with. Uh, Stephen, this was an off-the-radar name. It, it, it certainly was. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I think a lot of people kind of had the idea and had the belief that it was going to be Connor McKnight, just given his um, – work that he has done, you know, previously with the organization kind of on radio and actually filling in um, on the TV side of it on occasion here. And then there was, um, you know, the, uh, the guy out of Boston that was rumored to be in the mix a little bit right there, but um, you know, John Schreifen um, coming in here and, and now being the guy taking the chair from Jason Benetti you know, I don't have a whole lot of feedback that I can give on him at this point here. I, I did find, you know, one of his quotes um, to be particularly interesting where he just talked about the fan base as a whole, always wanting and craving information. He talked about the fact that there are so many various White Sox podcasts out there looking at 
every aspect of the organization from the major league team to the minor league system here and always looking for more information. And he talked about that as being a positive and kind of emblematic of a, fa a passionate fan base that really does care. And, you know, I think he, he talked about it in particular and one of his quotes that was, you know, fascinating was that, you know, even when things are bad, you're a White Sox fan for life. Yeah, I wonder if he wonder where he got that from. Wonder where he got that from. But hey, I, I'm I'm a big fan of that. If he's tuning into these shows, uh, I hope we're not. If you're, uh, if you're watching, John, we'd love to have you on. We'll yeah, talk. We would. we would. We would. We would love to have him on and 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 just discuss some White Sox baseball. I did see that he he uh, he's got a boxer as well. As, as you may know, I'm I'm a, I'm a boxer owner myself. So we've got that. We can come on here and maybe I'll bring bring Haas on the show. Um, but other than He's that, a very good boy. I, yeah, he is. He was he was having himself a day today. Um, I also saw that he likes food, and there was some some interesting things that were said back to him on on the whole food topic because that got our former broadcaster apparently in trouble with the chairman. Yeah, I mean, so I think now they're just going to have to figure out. Well, you know, are we just going to talk about the food? Maybe show you know, videos of it, uh, of fans walking around with it instead of, you know, chowing down on it. In the Steve booth. Stone was not a fan of food in the booth. but I'm not really sure what Stephen Stone exactly is a fan of other than eating meals and not paying for them. Well, I mean, I'm just, I, I don't know if I've ever seen him take a bite of the food on camera. There were, there were a lot of um, chewing sounds coming from, from one microphone uh, in the booth over the past few years, but it definitely wasn't Steve Stones. Um, I, I'm excited for this new era just because it's, and I, it's weird to say this, like I think you know my position on on White Sox broadcasting and no one's ever going to compare to Hawk Harrelson, but like this is sort of fresh. He, he, he made some good statements. He directly addressed, as you mentioned, the people who do podcasting and, and cover this team and, and all those areas. So I feel like he extended sort of that olive branch out to the people who do care about this thing a lot. Um, talked about how White Sox fans are White Sox fans for life. I think that that is a very true statement and he's done his homework on this. Uh, Listen to a couple of the clips of him calling various different things for ESPN. I believe it was. Um, he sounds like he's going to be able to bring a little bit more, in big moments than I think Jason Benetti was able to. And that's not to take away. I know a lot of people were huge fans of Jason Benetti, but we talked about this when Jason left, there was not a lot of, I guess, signature calls when it came to Jason Benetti's repertoire. And I always thought that Benetti sounded a little too national for me in the White Sox booth. I hope that John Schifrin comes, comes in and, and, and makes it his own. Maybe does a little bit more, on the Homer side, like realizes who his audience is. And I think he's already done that homework and sort of knows. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. If it's terrible by May, June, July, it things could get ugly, but um, I, I'm hoping for the best for this guy. I absolutely am. I am too. And I think to your point right there, you know, he did talk about that, you know, when the moment gets big is that's when he will rise to the occasion and he will, you know, help bring that to, you know, the people watching at home that aren't in the ballpark here. And, um, you know, that will be interesting to kind of see and hear. And look, that's always one of the things about. Do you think we'll get any set the tone drops from him? If he does, then we know for sure that he is indeed watching the Sox on Tap podcast. We will know that then. Yeah, that that might be a little nugget that we just leave right there, and we'll. See I mean, I mean, who knows? Who knows? Maybe he's even wearing an NWO T-shirt, you know, in, in the booth at some point here. I mean, that would you know kind of tip be a be a tip right there. Also, didn't he broadcast some XFL? I would have to go back and I I, I would have to look at that. I, I can't. That that is hashtag unconfirmed. I feel like that's the type of sport that you need to bring, like XFL football. You need to sort of bring the energy. If you can bring that energy over into the White Sox booth, I think we'll we'll get some some good moments. It'd be interesting to see how his dynamic plays with Steve Stone. That's not exactly like the easiest person to you know go in and and, and 
build that camaraderie with right away. I mean, you're talking about for better or for worse, somebody who's done baseball primarily as their number one sport color commentary. I'm also interested to see what happens inevitably when you get Schifrin and Gordon Beckham in the booth together for that, you know, two week period when Steve Stone goes back to Arizona or, you know, doesn't go on a road trip because um, we've had those over the past couple of years. It'd be interesting to see what that dynamic is because I felt like Jason Benetti really lent himself in those situations for a guy like Gordon Beckham. Like it just seemed like that rapport worked in the booth uh, somewhat cohesively. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see the versatility of Schifrin. Yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating to watch that whole rapport with Stephen Stone and any of the substitutes. Uh, see how that develops, and and again, how he develops his own unique personality. Because for better for better or worse, you know, the baseball play by play man. I mean, that is someone that you know your legendary ones kind of have their own style, and and they have kind of those signature things about them. Um, you know, Bob Euchre, you know, is a guy that nobody can mistake a Bob Euchre call. You know, um, Vince Scully, you know, you know, same way Harry Callis uh, when he was with, you know, the Phillies. I mean, so, you know, you've had a lot of characters. And then, and then look, obviously Hawk, a lot of Hawks um, catchphrases have become just part of everyday baseball lexicon, uh, despite the fact that, you know, some loser fans of that team, you know, on, on the other side of town want to believe. Um, but that's just a fact. And, you know, how John Schreifen is able to kind of come and, leave his own stamp on things on the broadcast. It is going to be fascinating to see because that was one thing that Jason didn't really have. Um, You're talking to those iconic calls. Yeah. And and even just, even just a a signature home run call. I mean, let's, let's be real. The, the more memorable White Sox broadcaster over that course of Benetti's tenure, the most memorable broadcaster is still Bill Walton. And that was maybe one of the most painful, you know, games I've listened to in a long time. I, I know a lot of people thought that that was fun. Um, you can keep it. I mean, I, I don't I, need. I had a blast with. I, I don't. I don't need Bill Walton trying to talk about baseball while he's stoned out of his mind. It was fantastic, but to each their own. Yeah. It it should be an intriguing season in that regard because we'll have that at least to sort of decipher and and figure out. And there's going to be some newness to it. Um, I I still didn't like the comments from Benetti that came out just a couple of days ago. Did you see those? I I did. Um, I I assume you're talking about the comments that he made with, um, you know, um, former Purdue Boilermaker, you know, the best basketball program in the B1G. I'm sure you wanted to let you go off on this um you know basically saying that you know it's um you have a guy that has his dream job and leaves for a division rival and you know basically kind of a little bit of a backhand slap at um i'm gonna assume probably brooks boyer which well that they came out and said that that wasn't even you know don't go getting mad at brooks boyer that that was benetti about like a month ago and then you get these comments the next, you know, time he's on air and uh, just, mm, you know, all I've got, all I've got to say is Hawk was right. Hawk was right. Hawk's right about a lot of things. Steven, I think that about does it for today's edition of the socks on tap podcast. We're in the best shape of our lives over here. It's been fun as always. You got any final thoughts before we head on out into the sunset? You know, we are two weeks away from pitchers and catchers. We're going to be seeing guys throwing bullpens on mounds in Arizona in short order. And um, the snap of the glove, yeah. the tossing of the ball, the little highlights that we get on Twitter and pitchers running polls. Yeah. It's a beautiful time of year. It's a beautiful time yeah, of year. Maybe, maybe throwing a little PFP too. Ooh. Yeah, there you, you know, go. Your I'll, guy, I'll, Brian Bannister, will be out there. 
And Bannister we trust. Ethan Katz. You'll see him out there with his clipboard writing some things down. You might get a clip of Martin Maldonado talking about how great Michael Kopech is, how crisp his fastball looks. It's exciting times. Very exciting times. And Steve? We're here for it. We, yes, we are. We are here for it. We'll be back fairly soon, probably next week. Again, talking about more White Sox baseball. Until then, you can follow the show at Sox on Tap. Follow Stephen at NWI underscore Steve, myself at Tony on Tap. Subscribe to the YouTube, youtube.com slash on Tap Sportsnet. Make sure you're checking out ontapsportsnet.com for all your White Sox news, updates, rumors, and Steve's musings. Till next time, White Sox forever. White Sox for life. <laughs>